0: This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror.
1: Al-Baghdadi and the Underwear Caper Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. I'm sure by now you have heard that uh, the head of ISIS, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is dead, killed by um, American and uh, Kurdish and uh, general intelligence forces, Delta, our Delta forces in particular, and a dog. I'm sure you've heard about the dog. Um, but I, you may not have heard about the um, underwear caper that helped to um, locate him, confirm that it was him, and so on. So, you know, I always like to tell you about things that you don't hear in the mainstream media. So this is... Um, one of those as well now of course the only problem is that um there is still i mean i have been researching this and there is still conflicting or confusing information about some of these details leading to his um well you know it's uh, leading to his murder really it was um that uh, the our forces surrounded his compound and ultimately um as you probably know he um, um committed suicide himself through his suicide vest after he had been asked to surrender by our forces. But he chose to commit suicide because that's the more, you know, that's the way dying um, in glory is the way he would get rewards in heaven. But it is important to know that um, we did give him a chance to to, uh, surrender. Of course, he probably felt that life would be worse um, if he surrendered as well. So let me tell you some of how we got to him. Um, first of all, the first, uh, the beginning of this was I mean, of course, the US and Kurdish forces and allied forces have been trying to find uh, Abu Bakr al Baghdadi for, uh, for years. And uh, there have been, in fact, many reports of his having been killed uh, before this one. And, um, and which of course apparently <laughs> were proven to be false. But um, one, the thing that it's ironic what led or what began the, his downfall, uh, his lo- the, the finding of his location, it was when he shared his comeback footage in April. Now I'm pretty sure I've talked about this in a prior um, show, where uh, he wanted to prove because there had been all of these claims that he was dead, he wanted to prove that he was still very much alive. And um, he did a video, um, and on April 30th of this year, an 18-minute address, and um, he... That's my dog, who is apparently not happy with my giving credit to Conan, the dog that helped in taking down bakkir uh, al Um he um he was uh, in the in this last video, which was the a video you know it was the first in many years and uh, <laughs> i, I You know what, I think I need to stop this while I get my dog more. So um, this uh, April 30th video that uh, al-Baghdadi ironically uh, created to prove to the world that he was still alive is what what started his his downfall and his ultimate death. Um, In that uh, video, He was, amongst other things, he was promising to uh, exact revenge on the West. It was really a rallying video, not only to prove that he was alive, but to get everybody jazzed up to keep attacking the West. So now to the underwear caper. (laughs) Um, You know, I don't know. These terrorists have a thing with underwear. (laughs) You remember the underwear bomber, Um, the man who got on an airplane, um, with a bomb in his underwear that fortunately didn't detonate, but, um, that is part of the reason why we all have to wait in long lines and be checked by the TSA, uh, that and the shoe bomber, of course. Anyhow, um, Al-Baghdadi and the underwear, uh, caper, uh, he was tracked down after a spy was able to steal his dirty underpants for DNA tests to make sure that, um, that it was he um, for five months there's been a joint intel cooperation on the ground and monitoring um, and there was a mole in Baghdadi's um, um, with Baghdadi he was one of his security advisors, and he was um, in he was in contact with people who were helping the CIA, and, and the information was being relayed back to the CIA. So um, to prove that there, you know, we needed to prove we <laughs> the U.S. wanted confirmation and to prove that their source, that the mole was real, um, that you know it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't um, someone who's really was a spy for, or on the side of Baghdadi. Um, they wanted him to bring something out that would have DNA on it. So he stole Baghdadi's dirty underwear, not a, not a fun task. And that was about three months ago, three months before the raid on Baghdadi's compound. And then they wanted him to uh, bring out a blood sample as well, and that happened about a month ago so once these were confirmed as belonging to Baghdadi, of course they're not explaining how they were able to do that um then uh the this source was taken to see Baghdadi and um well no i'm I'm sorry i'm not after but This source, this mole, was someone, as I said, on the security detail of Baghdadi. And he was, um, before they knew that he was a mole, of course, um, they would take him to see Baghdadi because his job was to tell Baghdadi where to go to be uh, safe, like where to move. Baghdadi was just like Osama bin Laden. Bin Laden was always on the move to try to avoid being captured. And um, this security source, was um, this, this man who was in the security detail of Baghdadi, um, was brought to Baghdadi and when he was driven to him, um, to, you know, repeatedly to tell him where, to give him advice about security, um, they told him to sit down on the floor of the car or to get down, you know, to crouch down, to not look out the windows so that he wouldn't be able to know the landmarks um, which would lead other people, lead Baghdadi's enemies to him. But he was able to sneak a peek and, um, or peeks, and he was able to help to um, tell the U.S. and and um, the people who uh, to to ultimately aid in this detection of where Baghdadi was. Um, now, um, this defector, this ISIS defector who was the mole, was. Um, will hope, there are reports, again, as I was saying at the beginning, there are various reports, some sort of give um, different information than the others, but um, this informant was able to give detailed knowledge of his whereabouts, and because of, you know, of um, really uh, looking, you know, paying attention to where he was going, even though he wasn't supposed to be looking, And he was also able to tell a room by room layout of, um, Baghdadi's sanctuary so that they could plan the attack on the compound. And, um, he was present in fact, during the gun battle, and then he was taken to safety two days later along with his family. Now, he, it's been being reported by some that this uh, defector, this mole, had been cultivated as an asset by the Syrian Democratic Forces, the um, predominantly Kurdish militia that became the ground troops for the U.S.-led campaign to destroy the um, caliphate. And then um, they, you know, then they did the, he had to prove that he was genuine and so on and um he um so it was through all of that that he that we were able to to know who it was and and get into the compound and so on and it turned out well i'll tell you i'll tell you more about this this mole when we come back
0: You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terrorism. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll.
1: Welcome back to The Terrorist Therapist Show. Um, I'm talking to you about the, uh, before we left uh, off, I was talking to you about the ISIS spy who betrayed Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. He was a bodyguard who wanted revenge, it turns out. Um, He was, the reason why he wanted revenge was because of mistreatment of his family. And... um, and his family, you know, he was, they were subjected to harsh treatment and he no longer believed in the future of ISIS. So um, now there's a, a, another, little, um, uh, another little interesting tidbit. Um, apparently, al-Baghdadi uh, buried treasure and cash worth millions, at least millions in the desert. I, if, I, if there's time, I'll talk to you a little bit about that too, but I don't suggest you start buying a ticket to go there to look for it. Um, so he, um, he um, not only did he provide information about the, uh, the four-floor plan of uh, Baghdadi's location, but also information about the escape sh- tunnel which of course, as you probably know, ended up being Baghdadi's tomb Um, because that's where he blew himself up after he was being chased, of course, by uh, American forces. Um, Now, let me tell you about some other part. So getting back to to the treasure hidden in the desert, um, by uh, al-Baghdadi, Baghdadi, there is um, there is someone speaking out now. As I mentioned earlier, you know there are there are varying and conflicting reports about these various things that I'm talking to you about. Um, the underwear caper is pretty definite, however, <laughs> but um, there are there's someone else who has come out to talk about. Uh, uh, Baghdadi, and that is someone named Mohammed Ali Sajid. Um, he is a detained ISIS suspect, and he's the brother-in-law of Al Baghdadi's wife. Um, and he has been giving, since the since the death of Al Baghdadi, he has been giving uh, Mohammed Ali Sajid, that is, has been giving interviews uh, about what he knows about. Baghdadi. And he is the one who has been talking about the huge fortune that is buried in various locations uh, across their former territory, the former ISIS territory. And um, this included, this is because, you know, Baghdadi was big on looting antiquities and government treasures, and he also, um, through ISIS, controlled all the oil revenue from the region. So um, there are, I mean, you know, the reports I've been reading say millions, but from then this description, it would seem more like it's possibly billions. In any case, I am still not recommending that you go looking in the desert for it. But but there probably will be people uh, who now hearing these reports um, will do just that. I don't mean necessarily people coming, well, I, I, I don't. Know. I was going to say I don't mean necessarily people coming from the West, but um, then again, if people are coming from the West to join ISIS, I guess it would be equally. Uh, one could conceive equally of someone doing equally crazy things, which is uh, would be to go look looking in the desert for these um, these treasures. Uh, Oh, and also uh, Baghdadi, you know, part of his stash is also from donations. It's also cash, and it's donations from regimes and individuals who who wanted to support ISIS. Now, some of this stash was found by local shepherds, and they don't know how much these local shepherds got, (laughs) but I say good for the shepherds. Um, (laughs) Um... so um, now you know there have been, uh, of course, you have presumably seen President Trump talking in the media about the capture and uh, certainly um, taking taking his due of credit. I mean, it certainly he deserves the credit for this um, because this has been a, a year. You know, he has been trying through, of course, the the. Um, military and uh, intelligence and so on uh, trying to locate and cause the death of Baghdadi for years. So he does deserve credit for this. There are some who have criticized, well, there are people who criticize everything Trump does, but there are some who criticize the fact that he was talking about how Baghdadi died a coward, not a hero. And he explains that the reason why he did that is because, um, because he wants people you know especially um young people thinking about going to the middle east and joining isis um, to realize that this isn't such a heroic kind of thing uh you know that that they would be doing or joining so um what else there are you know one of the things that i found particularly interesting that we haven't been hearing about um, was the the beginnings of Abu Bakr al Baghdadi? He was well. First of all, you, you may know that there was a twenty five million dollar reward for his capture, um, or presumably his death. Um, he he's been um, pursued by the U S. and its allies since the rise of ISIS five years ago, and they you know eventually put a twenty five million dollar bounty on him. Now, um, at its peak, ISIS controlled 34,000 square miles from western Syria to eastern Iraq, and it imposed its brutal rule on almost 8 million people. I mean, there's no question that Baghdadi was an evil, cruel man and deserved to die. Um, his, his beginnings, though, his story is kind of interesting. Uh, he was born in 1971 in the central Iraqi city of Samarra. He, um, he came from a religious Sunni Arab family who claimed to be descended from the Prophet Muhammad's um, Quraysh tribe. And as a teenager, this is what I found as a psychiatrist particularly interesting, um, that as a teenager he was nicknamed the Believer by relatives because of how much time he spent at the local mosque learning how to recite the Quran and because he would often criticize those who failed to abide by Islamic law, by Sharia. So what, what, I, why I find that particularly interesting is because it wasn't that he was someone who became the leader of ISIS because he was you know, out for power. Although certainly, presumably, by the time he did, I mean he he went through a lot <laughs> to get to be the leader. But that he was really um, he was steeped in religion, even as a teenager. I mean, he was really it, one. Would, it would it would seem from his background that he really believed in what he was doing, or in that the that the Quran uh, instructed. True believers to to destroy the West. Um, so he finished school in the early 1990s. Then he moved to Baghdad. He got he's very well educated. He got a bachelor's and a master's degree in Islamic studies, and then he embarked on a PhD at the Islamic University of Baghdad. And while he was a student, he lived near uh, a Sunni mosque in Baghdad and he was described as a quiet man who kept to himself, except for when he taught Quranic recitation and played football. It's kind of an interesting um, way of, it's hard to imagine the leader of ISIS playing football, but he did. I mean, it's sort of a a juxtaposition to the pictures that we see of him in his more recent years. Um, He played football for the Mosques Club and he, um, and then when the US uh, toppled President Saddam Hussein in 2003, he um, began helping to found an Islamist insurgent group that attacked US troops and their allies. And in this group, he was the head of the Sharia Committee. So all along, he was really um, particularly focused on religion. And then um, he, this is, well, I'll, I, we, I need to uh, take a break now. But when we come back, I'll tell you about, in case you don't know about this, it's really, um, I mean, we almost had him year, 15 years ago. And that's kind of sad considering all that he has accomplished, all the evil he has accomplished in these 15 years. So when we come back, I'll tell you more about that.
0: You've been listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Now back to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll.
1: Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where I left off talking about um, how Baghdadi, basically Baghdadi's uh, rise from being a um, teenager who was uh, called nicknamed the believer and very, very um, ensconced from a very early age in his religion, um, you know, ultimately pursuing it in a very extremist kind of way. Um, and so I, I, when we left off, I was saying I was gonna tell you about how we, we had him at one time, and we we gave him up. In 2004, he was detained by US troops in the city of Fallujah, and he was taken to a detention center at Camp Bucca, or Buca, I guess. Um, and that has been described as a university for future leaders of ISIS. And um, because the inmates in this camp became radicalized, it was kind of like what happens in jails um, nowadays, Um, the inmates of this camp became radicalized and um, they were developing important contacts and networks. And in this camp, um, he led prayers, he delivered sermons, he taught religious classes and he was and sometimes the US administrator asked him to mediate disputes now the sad part is that he was considered a low level threat by the US and after 10 months they released him now he, i mean i wasn't there <laughs> but if if we have a man um, in this camp you know as a prisoner in the camp and he's leading prayers delivering sermons. I mean, the question is, didn't the U.S. have anybody listening to his sermons? I mean, what did he talk about? Um, Certainly, one would hope that we had people who um, could understand what he was saying um, tell the U.S. um, administrator that he was talking about things, you know, that were not favorable towards the West. I mean, I, I can't imagine what else he would have delivered. Here he was, a prisoner in this camp, um, having these strong beliefs by then already, and, um, and teaching religious classes. I mean, what, what was he teaching, if not um, that, that Islam tells us that we should kill our enemies if they don't um, convert? So I don't know. But anyhow, he was considered this low-level threat and a Pentagon official in 2014, years later, so 10 years later, um, a, a Pentagon official told the New York Times, quote, he was a street thug when we picked him up in 2004. Well, clearly they underestimated him because he was a man at that, by that time, he was very well educated um very religious very involved um in in anti obviously in anti-us this this group that he um founded helped found um why would they think that that he he was uh, he shouldn't have been let go um this pentagon official continued to say it's hard to imagine we could have had a crystal ball then that would tell us he'd become head of isis well, yeah, maybe not head of ISIS, but certainly not certainly dangerous enough to keep. Um, then, after he left this, after um, Baghdadi left this camp, he is believed to have come into contact with um, the newly formed Al Qaeda in Iraq (AQI), which became a major force in the Iraqi insurgency and uh, became gathered notoriety for uh, beheadings and so on. And then um, and then basically what happened after that is that he, he rose through the ranks and um, and then just to remind you he did um, you know it was his he was very much um, involved and, and uh, intent on creating the Caliphate and he he did release. Um, a video in 20, 2014, he did release a video that this is the video that um, the only video before the, the more recent one, the one this year, um, in which he delivered a sermon at uh, the Great Mosque, and he it was again it was a it was supposed to rouse a lot of um, support for ISIS and. Um, bring uh, recruits, which it did and then but then he wasn't seen as I was saying earlier until the uh, video that he did in 2019, which then helped people to locate where it was coming from and um, and that is what was rather Unfortunate now there are different uh, Assessments what's going to happen now. So okay Ding dong the witch is dead um, al Baghdadi is dead, so what does that mean for us in the west um, Is it a good thing i mean sure it's a it's a good thing we can we can i think all agree that it's a good thing because he was a very evil man and he would have continued to um, kill people and and torment people i mean you know uh, direct his troops, uh, direct ISIS members to do that and to recruit more ISIS members and so on. There's no question but that this was a very powerful and important um, coup that um, was done, that his death was very, is very significant. But now there are people who are saying that um, ISIS is dead now be caught without him that, um, that ISIS is finished. Now this is the, um, this was, um, there was, there, the, so there are people who are saying that even if al-Baghdadi was not killed, ISIS is finished, it's over, ISIS doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the morale is shattered, people are broken, even if someone takes over, the organization is over. But then there are people who are saying quite the opposite that his death, um, which was, I mean, you know, yes, it was a suicide, but really it was a a suicide brought about by um, our closing in on him. So you could also look at it as a murderer. Um, And um, so of course that's going to make a lot of people in ISIS and ISIS sympathizers very angry. And so are we gonna there are some who are saying you know we're we're in fact um this our security forces and intelligence and so on are are um being becoming ready or looking for um a re- revenge kind of attack or attacks some kind of revenge for his death and so <clears throat> So we so bottom line, we don't really know what's going to happen. We do know, however, uh, just recently the uh, ISIS has named a new leader. His name is Abu Ibrahim uh, Al Hashimi, and um, but we don't know very much more about him. Because although President Trump is saying we know who he really is, um, I mean there is there are reports that perhaps this isn't his real name. Um, his full name, Abu Ibrahim, Ibrahim al-Hashemi al karashi And so he's being called the new leader, ISIS's new leader and caliph. And, um, you know, it's not by happenstance that they're also calling him the caliph because they the idea is to, that just because the land, um, the caliphate, the land has been destroyed by Western forces um, and Kurds and so on. Our our Kurds Kurds have been very, it must be said that Kurds, if it were not for the Kurds uh, helping the U.S. and allied forces, um, we might, well certainly we wouldn't have found Baghdadi by now, you know, just now, um, so who knows when we would have. So um, they do deserve a lot of credit. But anyhow, so the point of calling the new leader a caliph also is to, sh- to make the point that um, the caliphate, you know, isn't dead. That just because the land, this, the, the original one, was destroyed uh, doesn't mean that there isn't going to be one in the future. Um, so let's see. Um, he, so who is he? He is, uh, he's been described as a prominent figure in jihad. Uh, a veteran jihadist fighter who had fought against the U.S. in the past. Uh, He claims, just like al-Baghdadi, to have been descended from the Prophet Muhammad. Um, And and there are still um, at least between 14,000 and 18,000 members of ISIS in Iraq and Syria, including up to 3,000 foreigners. And that doesn't include all the people who have been going back to, you know, who, who have come to the Middle East and are now trying to get back, go back to where they came from. So, um, ding dong, Baghdadi is dead, but ISIS isn't. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist.